This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You don't just live in your home, you live in your neighborhood as well. So when you're shopping for a home, you want to know as much about the area around it as possible. Luckily, Homes.com has got you covered. Each listing features a comprehensive neighborhood guide from local experts. Everything you'd ever want to know about a neighborhood, including the number of homes for sale, transportation, local amenities, cultural attractions, unique qualities, and even things like median lot size and a noise score. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Just minutes ago, the New York Times published an anonymous op-ed that editors say was written by a senior official in the Trump administration. The op-ed is titled, quote, I am part of the resistance inside the Trump administration, and it details the way in which the author and his or her colleagues are, according to the op-ed, working to thwart part of the president's agenda and his worst inclinations. That's from Jake Tapper's show on CNN, September 5th, 2018. The network is reporting that the Times has done something they almost never do. Publish an opinion piece from an unnamed author. It's a bombshell story, an unprecedented descent from within the administration, and it dominates the news cycle for weeks. Inside the White House, the president is, we'll just say, not happy. He demands to know who it is, and aides begin a hunt to uncover the identity of the author. But publicly, they dismiss so-called anonymous as a nobody. Rudy Giuliani summed up their stance in an interview on Chris Cuomo's CNN show. We don't know who this man is. We don't know what position he's in. This guy is obviously an unhinged guy, a guy without many morals, without any principle. That unhinged guy is me. My name is Miles Taylor, and I've been called a lot of things. A coward, a patriot, a traitor, a hero, a sleazebag, and a disgruntled employee. Before I was any of those, I was a government official, serving as senior advisor and eventually chief of staff at the U.S. Department of Homeland Security under President Donald Trump. Of all the labels I've picked up along the way, the one I'm most interested in is whistleblower. I still don't know how I feel about applying it to myself. What does it mean when you blow the whistle if you do it anonymously? And even though I ultimately revealed my identity, I honestly still wonder, did I wait too long? Did speaking out actually change anything? And was it worth losing almost everything? In this series, I'll be talking to other people who faced these questions and who tried to sound the alarm from within one of the most turbulent presidential administrations in American history. Some of them were in the president's inner circle. Some ran government agencies, but others were just career public servants working on the front lines. Their circumstances were all very different, but there are some common threads. The ethics around what they did or the way they did it were sometimes confusing, contradictory, a gray area. And though most people who blew the whistle paid some kind of price, a lot of times the net of it, after all the uproar and the blowback and their lives were upended or their careers were wrecked, the effect of what they did is often hard to see. So I want to know, was it worth it? This is The Whistleblowers. Episode 1. Anonymous. 
It starts with the election of one extremely unconventional president. The first weeks of the Trump administration were just an incredible time. That's Michael Scheer, White House correspondent for The New York Times. You had to throw out everything you thought you knew because you were in an administration that was actively hostile. We got to know each other early on in my time in the administration. And it was a pretty typical Washington, D.C. relationship, where he's a reporter and I'm a source, someone who's willing to talk, mostly off the record. But we sort of became friends. For Michael, there were a lot of early signals that this was going to be an unusual time to be part of the White House press corps. Unlike any other administration I've ever seen, you had people inside that White House knifing each other in the back. You literally had people trying to get other people ousted from the White House. It was a chaotic, angry, deceitful, backstabbing kind of place. And and as journalists, I mean, you sort of, you know, make use of that, right? Michael was not exactly alone in sensing that things were different in this White House. Susan Glasser was founder of Politico magazine. Hello. Hello. Hi there. Good to see you. And now writes for The New Yorker. Good to see this guy. And she's married to Peter Baker, chief White House correspondent for The Times. How have you been? Good, good. How are you? Good. Save the world yet? Talk about a power couple. When we get to their house, there's a television news crew that's leaving just as we're getting there to do a podcast. I, I love it. This says everything about this couple that you need no, to say. No, 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 they have no, a TV crew leaving. This is Ellie. Ellie is a uh, golden retriever, Labrador mix. She lived through the whole Trump era with us. Yes. Comforted, wow. She has comforted st- us when we needed it. Strong and, views herself on yeah. uh, you know the, the story of the last few years. That's why she I asked Peter... Susan, and Ellie the dog about those early days in the West Wing of the White House. There was no question that in those early weeks, reporters in general were hearing a lot from people who had seen a previous White House and were shocked to see what the new White House was like. And they were afraid. They really felt that things were on the edge of some sort of precipice from the very start. There was this element of the court of the Mad King. It was more resembling of court politics than it was of a modern White House. I've interviewed warlords in Afghanistan that functioned in a roughly similar way, where basically the retainers sit outside, you know, the the leader's office, wait for a chance to slip in and, you know, get their face time with the great man. It was all about access to this one guy, and that's the way he wanted it. This administration is running like a fine-tuned machine uh, that's being uh, very much misrepresented about, and we can't let that happen. So how did I end up working for the Mad King? I grew up in a small town in Indiana, and I was a teenager on September 11th, 2001. Like a lot of people, especially young people at that moment, it changed my life. I wanted to go into public service to help protect the country. So that's what I did. I went to Washington, and worked my way up the ranks on Capitol Hill, in the House Speaker's office, in the Bush White House, and then back to Congress again as a national security aide on various House committees. I thought of myself as a McCain-style Republican, pro-deregulation, smart tax reform, a strong military. What I was not was a MAGA person. Right now, a historic moment. Uh, we can now project the winner of the presidential race. CNN projects Donald Trump wins the presidency. The business tycoon and TV personality. I remember watching from a bar on Capitol Hill when Wolf Blitzer proclaimed that Donald Trump was the winner. Most of the people that I talked to in government at that time had real anxiety about what was happening. But they felt like the answer to this very unique situation was to lean on experienced people and stock the place with so-called grown-ups. Yeah, that would keep things from going off the rails. In fact, all over cable TV, political pundits sounded downright optimistic when the administration announced its appointees, like Joe Scarborough on his MSNBC show Morning Joe, the day that General Jim Mattis was named Secretary of Defense. 
Mattis is everything uh, this new administration would need at the Pentagon. I think relieved, I guess, is a good word to use. Uh, it's just hearing from the, the top foreign policy thinkers. John Kelly, a respected four-star Marine general, was tapped as Secretary of Homeland Security. He and Kirsten Nielsen, a cybersecurity expert from the Bush White House, convinced me to come to DHS. And that's the Department of Homeland Security, for anyone who's not used to D.C.'s blizzard of acronyms. My job would be to serve as the Secretary's top intelligence and counterterrorism advisor. Now, to be clear, I didn't want to work for Donald Trump. The White House, it seemed too chaotic. But I was eager to help what we called the Axis of Adults. A lot of even people who were virulently opposed to Donald Trump, they still had the instincts of, you know, kind of official Washington. Susan Glasser again. And I think that kicked in. And that's why a lot of the elder statesmen were recommending that people go and work for Trump. People who had not been part of the campaign necessarily, but were part of the permanent Republican Washington who thought, okay, well, we can help here. Of course, he didn't know what he was talking about in the campaign, but once he gets in there, he'll be more responsible. We can help that. Well, Peter, we were wrong. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. In the first year of the Trump administration, I tried to ignore the daily controversies coming out of the Oval Office and just focus on my job at DHS, disrupting terrorist plots, blocking Russian interference in our democracy, and the ever-present nuclear threat from North Korea. But the White House seemed to be in perpetual chaos. Cabinet secretaries would drop everything to rush across town to the Oval Office to persuade Trump not to do terrible things. But not all of these fire drills stayed quiet. People started talking. Jesse Isinger of ProPublica was one of the journalists covering the White House. Jesse has a kind of field guide to Washington for reporters. There are sources, leakers, and whistleblowers. Sources are people who are telling you what's going on on a daily basis. Then there's sort of a different kind of source, somebody who's leaking material to you. It could be leaking out of personal pique. They could be leaking out of righteousness, or they could be leaking for an advantage because it makes them or their principal look good. And then finally, there's a whistleblower. I sort of joke somewhat insensitively that every whistleblower, you know, on a scale of one to 10, where 10 is 
absolutely, you know, off the charts crazy. One is crazy. You are just boiling over with consternation, anxiety, rage at some wrong that you're seeing. When most people think of whistleblowers, their mind goes to something like All the President's Men, the film from the mid-70s. Robert Redford in a dark parking garage as Deep Throat emerges from the shadows to reveal the ugly truth about Richard Nixon. Listen, I'm tired of your chicken shit games. I don't want hints. I need to know what you know. It was a Halderman operation. Whistleblowers aren't new to the Trump White House. And as Jesse points out, the punishment of whistleblowers is definitely not new. We shouldn't pretend that it was easy for whistleblowers before. The Obama administration was quite bad from a free press perspective on people who leaked information to journalists. During the Obama years, whistleblower became kind of a dirty word. After government employees like Chelsea Manning and Edward Snowden leaked classified documents directly to the media. But when Trump came into office, he took a different approach. It seemed like he would punish any leaker, any whistleblower, for anything, especially if it had to do with him. Who's the person who gave the whistleblower the information? Because that's close to a spy. You know what we used to do in the old days when we were smart, right? With spies and treasons. We used to handle it a little differently than we do now. <laughs> that's President Trump venting in a closed-door meeting about whistleblowers. Ironically, the recording itself was leaked to the Los Angeles Times. Here's Jesse Isinger again. It was retribution on steroids. They were quite aggressive legally. They were searching for whistleblowers constantly, threatening them with firing, threatening them with legal action. And then, of course, there were personal attacks from Trump himself and his followers. I thought the adults in the room were keeping the chaos contained. But then things really started to break bad. This right here is a Rio Grande processing center. At this point, more families have been separated leaving this facility than any other in the country. 1,174 children have left this facility being separated from their parents. That report from Diane Gallagher on CNN was one of the first times the public heard about the policy that came to be known as family separation. From inside DHS, I watched this slow-moving train wreck as the president tried to force the department with all of its complicated functions and facets into some kind of personal anti-immigration army. One of the most important missions of DHS is its law enforcement mission. This is a law enforcement agency. Family separation was a preventable humanitarian disaster. Thousands of migrant families were split up at the border in the process. And let me be clear about something. This never should have happened. When it was conceived, I wasn't working on immigration, but after I watched the situation spiral, I stepped in to help write an executive order to end it. By then, it was too late. The damage was done, and I felt like... It was time to leave. But the president didn't stop there. The same summer, he ordered us to shut off federal aid to wildfire victims in California because it was a Democratic blue state that didn't support him. He threatened to cut the number of refugees allowed into the United States down to zero. We fought the White House to beat back these ideas, but it was like trench warfare. The attacks kept coming and coming like when Trump told us he wanted to pull out of NATO or expand what he called the weak-ass travel ban. Something else needed to be done. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. 
It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot iHeart. It was August 2018. I was in Sydney, Australia to meet with U.S. allies about a range of threats. It was three in the morning when my phone started buzzing on the nightstand. I looked over and saw it was the White House. I answered and I was told the president was furious. He saw American flags flying at half-staff across the United States in honor of the late Senator John McCain, who had just passed away. Trump hated McCain, and he wanted DHS to call for the flags to be raised back up. Now, there were a lot of reasons to snap during the Trump administration. I'll be the first to admit that. But this happened to be my final straw. So, half asleep, jet-lagged, I'm laying there, and I decide to do something. I pop up and go over to my desk in the hotel room, and I just started writing. I wrote about the dysfunction of the administration, about how members of Trump's cabinet were grappling with his immoral and illegal impulses every day, and how they thought he was a danger to the country, so much so that some of them even discussed invoking what is known as the 25th Amendment to remove the president if it got any worse. At first, this was just kind of a journal entry, but then I had a thought. And before I could talk myself out of it, I picked up my phone and using Signal, the encrypted messaging app, I sent what I'd written over to a trusted contact. This was someone I knew would be able to get it in the hands of someone else at the New York Times. And that ended up being an editor on the opinion page named Jim Dow. I don't know anything about what your reaction was when the essay first came in, because I was scared shitless on the other end. <laughs> I probably should have been scared more shitless than I was. And I won't get into who the interlocutor was that set us up, because that remains a secret. But we both had immense trust in that person. Everybody had an opinion about whatever Trump was saying on any given day. But the idea that we could get somebody who could sort of pull the scrim back a little bit and help us look inside was obviously really enticing to us. After I read it, I felt like, well, we can work with this. I marched it over to my boss, James Bennett, the opinion editor. 
I just laid it out for him. He's making the case to be anonymous. I think that's a legitimate case to be made here because this perspective is so interesting and I think valuable. We rarely do this, but we have done it a couple times where we grant anonymity to an op-ed writer. I'd like to make the case for this one. He read it and he agreed. Then we marched over to the publisher's office and talked to him about it. He thought this was just so unique of a situation and was willing to take our word for who you were. That was that. It seems to me there's there's a pretty valid case to be made for people within the bureaucracy to maintain their positions when when bad decisions above them are being made and to hold the line sometimes. I remember thinking when I sent you all the piece that uh, whoever Jim is, I'm sure he's very well-meaning, but I highly doubt he's going to be able to protect me. Just my experience in Washington had been nothing stays a secret for long. If you recall, you had to sign a um, contract with us, which every, every writer has to do, right? And that was the only place anywhere your name was written down in the files of the New York Times. We just kept the circle incredibly tight. And, um, and it worked. Everyone in Washington, and at this point across the country, is now trying to figure out who is behind this anonymous op-ed in the New York Times. The president is reportedly furious. The story dominated cable news, from a roundtable with Stephanie Rule on MSNBC to the late-night comedy shows. Some folks think they know who wrote the op-ed because of an unusual word in this passage, which describes John McCain's legacy as a lodestar for restoring honor to public life and our national dialogue. That word might be a clue because it happens to be one of Vice President Mike Pence's favorites. Colbert and others pointed the finger at Mike Pence, but the Vice President was quick to distance himself. I think it's a disgrace. Uh, The anonymous editorial published in the New York Times represents a new low in American journalism. It provoked an even bigger reaction than Jim or I had ever expected. I must have been in a meeting or something, walked out of my office like 30 minutes later and people were just saying, oh my God, I think it was within what, an hour? The president had said something, tweeted out something, I think, kind of angrily attacking you as a coward in the New York Times as a failed enterprise. We had no idea it would explode the way it did. We have somebody in what I call the failing New York Times that's talking about he's part of the resistance within the Trump administration. This is what we have to deal with. The dishonest media is really a disgrace. The Times was forced to increase security at its headquarters. And the threatening tone of the president and his supporters did, I think, worry that the Times, in a couple of ways, bomb threats, death threats, were a concern. There was a concern, frankly, that our electronics would not be safe. We weren't using Signal all the time, but we sure as heck started after that ran. Tensions were so high and the president was so bellicose. Remember, I'm still in my job at DHS living a kind of double life. But the hunt for Anonymous was on. I was sure any minute I'd be outed. White House staff had their marching orders. Find the traitor, and in the meantime, trash them. They do need to be found, and the fact that they're working in government against the president and essentially against the American people is not good. Stephanie Grisham was press secretary for First Lady Melania Trump. That's from Fox & Friends on Fox News. President Trump's favorite show. Odds are good that he was watching as Stephanie blasted this anonymous character as a treasonous coward. Stephanie ended up having her own change of heart. And we went from enemies to friends. So we can talk about it now. I think that level of paranoia started to go bonkers when that op-ed dropped. On our end, it was just immediate finger pointing. It was immediately who who did this. But interestingly, it, the thought wasn't in any agencies. You know, we were so self-centered at this administration <laughs> that if you, if you were called a senior administration official, it meant you were in the White House. That's the realization I came to as the year went on, that um, he was starting to spin out and that the blowback of that decision to wear a mask 
was in part making the president more paranoid and potentially creating a more volatile situation. A couple months after the op-ed published, after John Kelly was fired, another writer, Brett Stevens, at the New York Times wrote a piece, and it was a piece directed at Anonymous. His message was basically, Dear Anonymous, whoever you are, if you're still in this administration, you're wrong. The adults have been booted. And if you don't want to become one of Trump's flunkies, now's the time to go. And I read that and I thought, he's right. I left the administration a couple months later and my thought was, yeah, you know, an 800 word op-ed wasn't enough to explain who this guy is. So I quit. And then I met a representative from a publisher to make a much louder statement. We had exactly one meeting. It was a secret meeting without any electronic devices in an empty room. In fact, to avoid detection, we devised a multi-layered communication system with encrypted messages and air-gapped devices and swapped SIM cards and burner phones. Even so, the contents of the book leaked weeks ahead of its release. Of course. Rachel Maddow shared excerpts on her show on MSNBC. This still anonymous author has written a book, and it's called, quote, A Warning. This author is now essentially saying that if you were comforted at all by the fact that there were officials inside this administration who were keeping things on track and thwarting the president's worst and most misguided impulses, you maybe shouldn't be comforted by that anymore. So did you write the book after you left? If your op-ed took it to one level, the book just blew his stack. Meanwhile, Stephanie Grisham replaced Sarah Huckabee Sanders as press secretary over at the White House. And she had to deal with a very angry president. He was angry because this author, Anonymous, was now urging voters not to reelect him. He was just nuts about it. It was all he thought about. We would be in meetings about, you know, national security, let's say, and halfway through, he would look at anybody. Do you know who Anonymous is? Everybody got tasked with finding who Anonymous was. And so for me personally, it was frustrating. Here's another thing now that we can't focus on work because we have to find whoever this, you know, son of a bitch is. Meanwhile, at the failing New York Times. The effort to figure out your identity became this insane distraction. Times opinion editor, Jim Dow. It wasn't just the president, it was, I'm sure a lot of people around him, it was people in my business. My original piece ran on the opinion page. Those editors are totally separate from the newsroom at the Times, which means that Times reporters were actually doing their own digging. As it happens, I know two of the journalists at the paper who were trying to track down the identity of Anonymous. One of them was White House reporter Michael Shear, and his colleague, Julie Hirschfield Davis. Nobody in the news section, nobody in the Washington Bureau, none of my editors, nobody knew that it was you. When nobody could figure it out, I think there was something of a bit of a relief for us anyway, because it's like, well, that if one of us did figure it out, it would it'd be a complicated situation to try to figure out, I suspect. Except uh, you did. Well, <laughs> that was late. That was later. Yes. I think the first time we met was at a Mexican food restaurant where we had a, a, a lengthy dinner with some drinks. Julie had been a White House reporter along with me. She and I had both covered immigration in various forms for years. Once we had decided to start writing a book, we started reaching out to everybody that we could, we could think of in the administration, people who had left the administration, you know, who could sort of describe what was it really like behind the scenes. That was our mission. I got to know Michael and Julie pretty well, actually. I wanted to help them with their reporting, to shine a light on Trump's immigration policies. So I told them some of the pretty horrific things that I witnessed in the administration. When they read the new book, A Warning by Anonymous, a couple of the details felt pretty familiar. Like they'd heard this story before. From me. I think just before Thanksgiving in 2019, I was driving down to South Carolina to go spend time with family for the holiday. I got a message on Signal from you 
You made it sound very urgent. Basically, what had happened was that the Trump book had come out, still anonymous, and I devoured it, of course. And there were two different anecdotes that were in your book that were also in our book and that, frankly, you had told us in some of those dinners and that hadn't appeared anywhere else. You know, there had already been other books at that point that had come out. There had been lots of investigative reporting in the Post and the Journal and and Politico and elsewhere. And I couldn't remember seeing those anecdotes anywhere else. And here they were again in your or in the anonymous book. And I said, oh, my God. That's, it's, it's Miles. That's who wrote this book. So that day I sent you the message, you called back. We just came right out and said, we know that you're anonymous, that you wrote the book and the article. Um, and if I recall, you were, shall I say, not truthful. You can say. I remember that moment driving thinking, oh, fuck. I think we were on speaker. Like, I think you had your family in the car and we were on speaker too. I remember when we got off and we had this conversation and we said, well, a couple possibilities. One is we were, were wrong. He's not the author. Another is he's a very, very good liar. After the book came out, I was pretty determined to come forward and talk about what I'd seen within the administration in my own name and actually own it, especially with reporters hot on my trail. So in the late summer of 2020, just a couple months before the election, that's what I did. Sort of. To keep our country safe. What we saw was terrifying. The president wanted to exploit the Department of Homeland Security for his own political purposes and to fuel his own agenda. And even though I'm not a Democrat, even though I disagree on key issues, I have to support Joe Biden for president. And I'm confident he won't make this. That video produced by a group called Republican Voters Against Trump, was kind of an attack ad for the last leg of the presidential campaign. It went viral, and it made Trump crazy. In his usual style, the president claimed he didn't even know me, despite the fact that I'd spent hours and hours with him in the Oval Office, on Air Force One, and in the White House Situation Room. He's a lowlife. Anybody that does that is a lowlife to me. And it's a shame. I never met him. I never heard of him before. He's a bad people. He's a sick people. He's a lowlife. Okay. To be clear, I still have not revealed at this point that I was the anonymous author of the op-ed and book. That's because I knew the second I did, that would become the news story. So first, I wanted to talk about who Donald Trump really was, why he represented, in my view, a danger to the country. So I denied that I was the anonymous author over and over to anyone who asked. Here I am on Anderson Cooper 360, lying about it. There was an op-ed, there was a book by someone uh, calling themselves anonymous. Are, are you aware of who that is? Uh, I'm not. Look, and I, that was a, uh, a parlor game that happened in Washington, D.C. of a lot of folks trying to think of uh, who that might be. I've got my own thoughts about who that might be, but... Uh, you know, I you're want not, my you're not to be anonymous. on the president. Uh, I, I wear a mask for two things, Anderson. Uh, Halloweens and uh, pandemics. After I left DHS, I took a job in the tech sector. But with the presidential campaign heating up, I felt like I couldn't sit on the sidelines. I went on unpaid leave so I could actually travel around the country and just tell Americans what I'd witnessed, why this man was unfit for office. And I set out to recruit others to come forward, too. Thankfully, a lot of them said yes. This is former chief of staff John Kelly, who, according to new CNN reporting, has said this of the president to friends of his. And I'm quoting him now. The depths of his, his dishonesty is just astounding to me. The dishonesty. He is the most flawed person I have ever met in my life. I knew that time was up. I'd said as much as I could about Donald Trump in my own name, but there was something that I hadn't revealed, which was that I'd been sounding the alarm for years about him without my name attached. Frankly, I was procrastinating. And the honest truth is that I was pretty scared. I was scared to unmask myself as anonymous because I knew the second I did, the revelation would blow up everything in my life. But at the same time, keeping the secret was already causing my life to implode. I was basically pretending to be two different people. And I was also sending 
a really terrible message. Because by staying in the shadows, Anonymous was basically saying, you don't have to speak the truth. You can hide. And now was not the time to hide. It was time for people to speak out before it was too late. And in the meantime, I found out that innocent people were getting blamed. Did you know Peter Navarro put together a whole report dossier about who Anonymous was? Peter Navarro was one of Trump's most loyal White House aides, and he was hell-bent on finding out who Anonymous was, and he wanted to do it for the president. As Stephanie Grisham recalled, Peter thought he found the culprit, and he claimed it was Victoria Coates, who was Trump's deputy national security advisor. Peter put together a, a report with a laminated folder and everything. It was color-coded. I mean, it was a great, like, ninth-grade English project. But he put it together, and I, oh, I laugh about this because everything's okay, right? Victoria's okay, we're okay. But, you know, he had put in this report that um, the author of Anonymous was clearly a woman because they were very empathetic towards mothers. He went to the president, he went to everyone. It was Victoria in the White House, and she was going to be fired. Poor Victoria, in the meantime, is going through hell. Everybody's ignoring her. Nobody wants to talk to her. No one trusts her. That's, I think, the point that I was most angry with you as anonymous, because I just was watching this woman suffer, and somebody like Peter Navarro, who's the probably the most batshit crazy of our group, you know, deciding who it was. That other people experienced blowback for what I wrote caused me so much more inner turmoil than it was worth. Dealing with the stress and the anticipation of my life getting detonated. There's no question that I became an alcoholic. And we have some breaking news for you. The identity of Anonymous revealed. Now CNN has learned the identity of that anonymous author, which has been a source of a great deal of speculation, that anonymous senior administration official is Miles Taylor. You know anonymous? You know this anonymous that everybody's been looking for? That law enforcement could have found early if they wanted to. Turned out to be a low-level staffer, a sleazebag. This is a disgrace to our country. It shouldn't happen and he should be prosecuted. Are you listening to me back in Washington? He should be prosecuted. Bad things are gonna happen to him. It's like a, a horrible, treasonous, horrible thing that you can do this and you can get away with it. Bad things are going to happen to him, Trump said. And he was right. His supporters made sure of it. My personal information was doxed all over the web. And I got a lot of phone calls. What you're doing to President Trump is disgusting. You're disgusting people. You're evil and you're gonna go down. Miles Taylor, what the fuck are you thinking going against Trump, you and your cronies? Your career is ruined. You, my friend, are a piece of shit. You are a traitor. You dumb motherfucker. You're the dumbest motherfucker I must have ever met. Sorry, fucking pieces of shit. You fucking political hack. Eat a dick and die. Go to hell. Stop being the enemy. I am so disappointed. What's the deal with you? Asshole. You're an anti-American. We're coming, my man. You are a pathetic person. The harassment was nonstop. It was like an avalanche of hate. And as all of it was happening, my anxiety went completely through the roof. And I did what some people do in those situations. I drank more. And first that was to cope, kind of to make it all go away. I would get so anxious sometimes though, especially before television appearances, that I'd go pour whiskey in my coffee cup and take it with me for the TV hit. In fact, if you saw me on a news network in October 2020, there's a good chance I was tipsy, maybe even drunk. Trump supporters confronted me in restaurants, at the airport, wherever they saw me. Others sent creepy packages to my house, sometimes with pictures of me and my family members and photos taken outside of their homes, photos of my nieces. Most of it was tough talk. I knew that. But some of it resulted in criminal cases that are still open today, that my family is still dealing with. I talked to Stephanie about all of this. It was, in a lot of ways, worse than I imagined. You know, had to 
leave my home, leave my job, lost my personal relationship, had to have a bodyguard for a few months because of the death threats, lost a lot of friends. Any one of those things, I think, could send someone into a little bit of a tailspin. All of them happened like within a week of each other after after I came forward. The social media vitriol was explosive. I found myself on election day sitting in a safe house, wasted with pills and a firearm, thinking, uh, what's the fucking point? You know what I, I find shocking listening to you say what you just said is that I wasn't shocked. I mean, it's shocking to me how normal that sounds as having been there and dealt with it. I literally sat there and listened to you just now as, as if you were just giving me your grocery list for tonight. Stephanie obviously had her own experience with this administration, and trust me, we will come to her. In my case, amidst the fallout, I was grateful to find support, sometimes in the most unlikely places. Here's New York Times reporter Michael Shear. The kind of back and forth that I have with my very best sources, it is personal at some level. We get to know each other over these years, and you understand the trials and tribulations that people go through. You were the only reporter who I think, after all of that, actually sat down with me at one point and, and, and looked me in the eye and said, how are you doing? You know, how, like, how are you actually doing? After it all happened, I had had a good deal of suicidal ideation for a few months. And I think by the time we got together, things were better, kind of therapy and was on antidepressants and that sort of thing. But I remember just being asked the question. I, I remember being, you know, that was significant for me. I'm glad. I mean, look, I think one of the things that we forget in Washington on all of the different sides of the of these crazy roles that we play, right, whether it's journalist or administration official or lawmaker or congressional aide or what have you, I mean, I, you know, there is a tendency to forget that we're all real people too. Thankfully, I got the help I needed. And I'm proud to report that I'm one year sober. But in the course of producing this podcast, I found out that others who spoke out also ended up in dark places. And not all of them have found their way out yet. Times editor, Jim Dow. Have you ever regretted it then? I think my regret in hindsight, if there is one, was just not unmasking myself sooner. I think I was wrong that revealing my name at the last minute would somehow be more helpful because now I realize how many people were scared to come out because there wasn't someone else out there. They weren't going to be the first one to do it. I think anonymity is one of the biggest threats to our democracy right now in that people being scared to come forward under their own names is causing sort of a collective crouch that has allowed people like Donald Trump to exploit it. I think that's a, a huge danger. And um, I guess that's ironic coming from me. So. so that's what this show is going to be about. The personal stories of people who decided to speak out at a time when shutting up would have just been so much easier. I'm talking to fellow whistleblowers, and I'm still not sure I accept the term. But I'm asking them the same questions that I wrestle with when I think about my own story. What was the line in the sand? Why not say something sooner? What was the cost? Was it worth it? And for all of us, was it enough? Next time on The Whistleblowers... Reality Winner went from a decorated Air Force veteran with a pretty bright future to a convicted felon after she was arrested for leaking NSA documents. But the truth is more complicated than the story of a patriot turned traitor. The Whistleblowers is a production of iHeart Podcasts in partnership with Best Case Studios and Arc Media. 
It was hosted by me, Miles Taylor, and written by me, Isabel Evans, and Adam Pincus. Isabel Evans is also our producer. Associate producers are Hannah Leibowitz-Lockhart and Ashley Warren. Darcy Peacolt is consulting producer. Zach Herman is the VP of Development of Arc Media. This episode was edited by Daniel Turek, with assistance from Max Michael Miller. Original music is by James Newberry. Executive producers are me, Miles Taylor, Adam Pincus for Best Case Studios, and Barrett Goodman for Arc Media. Beth Ann Macaluso is our executive producer for iHeartMedia, along with Ali Perry. Special thanks to Kevin Pham, all of our contributors and interviewees, and our intern, Anna Levitt. And a big thanks to the teams at Government Accountability Project and Whistleblower Aid, two of the best organizations for government and private sector whistleblowers seeking legal support. Follow and rate The Whistleblowers on the podcast site of your choice. To hear what these whistleblowers and others have to say about what they believe will happen under a second Trump administration or in the White House of Amaga's successor, you can pick up my new book, Blowback, from Simon & Schuster. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in Coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.